Good Thursday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com Mailbag Podcast presented by Blue Water Climate Control with Austin Price and Rob Lewis. I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. And don't forget about our friends at Blue Water Climate Control for all your heating and air HVAC needs. Blue Water Climate Control can take care of you. As we know, everybody's air conditioning unit is being taxed to this week with all the heat that's there. We know that that heat's not going away, so you want to make sure your air conditioning unit is uh, running smoothly and operating the way it should. So if you need a tune-up, get a tune-up. If you need some repair work, they can get to you. They can take care of it. They're going to send a repairman out to do the job the right way the first time. Whatever your needs are, Blue Water Climate Control is going to take care of you. Give them a call at 865-299-2290 or check them out online at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com. All right, we've got plenty of questions to get to in the mailbag podcast, and so we'll get started right out of the gate. Um, how rare is it in your profession to have something as big as the OU in Texas joining the SEC stay quiet for as long as it did? I'd say it's next to impossible these days that something like that happens, that there's so much work going on behind the scenes that it stays that quiet. I think part of that, personally, COVID probably helped it because there wasn't face-to-face meetings in a hotel room somewhere for somebody to bump into something and you could make sure nobody knew what was going on. I mean, you can limit the number of people who had access to stuff. So I think that helped. And obviously you had a bunch of people or a handful of people involved that didn't want anybody to know and made sure nobody knew, but it is rare for sure in this day and age that something has been in the works for that long and it doesn't get out. I agree. I mean, it just, it never happens. I mean, like, you know, especially that long, that length of time. I mean, I've seen stuff stay quiet for, you know, days, maybe even a couple of weeks, but, you know, to, to stay quiet, you know, for as long as they've been working on this, I mean, you know, kudos to everybody involved that kept it quiet because you just don't see it happen at all. Well, and I, I think, you know, that was my, that, go ahead, Rob. I was going to say that was my very first reaction. I can't believe they kept this quiet. Well, and I think for, for Oklahoma and Texas, there was plenty of justification for doing that because there's so much money on the line. And, you know, I'm not sure how many people Sankey told even in his own office, nobody in the league, I don't think knew anything for, for a long time on that. So um, small number of people involved. And again, nobody was traveling around the world and around the country, seeing each other, bumping into each other because um, there was so much, you know, reduced travel, everything could be handled, you know, via zoom calls and things like that, which probably helped that out a good bit as well. And I, I would add this too: if you're just if the presidents were the kind of people were you know who was involved, they're not they don't deal with sports media in a you know in a normal basis like an athletic director would. So I you know I think they're very far removed from our world as opposed to, I mean we not that not that Philip Fulmer would have spilled the beans, but I'm saying we all have dealt with Coach Fulmer in the past, and that's the same way at every SEC school in the league. So I think that was another reason it was able to stay so so closed. Yep, I agree with that, you know, because there, there's not the media tie-in to those guys for sure, um, because there's not people covering universities on a daily basis as a beat, um, you know, in a non-athletic world. All right, onward we go. If you're Rodney Garner, what does your recruiting pitch sound like? Not just to Walter Nolan, but to all top flight recruits. We know he's the ace on the staff. AP, what's the recruiting pitch sound like? Well, I think it depends on each kid. I mean, I think they have to be tailored – you know, to each kid, because that's, you know, good recruiters don't come with the same pitch to every, you know, every kid they come in contact with. They they make it different, you know, and uh, make it more, 
tailored to each individual player. So, um, you know, the, the overall, you know, I guess feel would be, you know, come here and this, the same pitch that, you know, has been said around here a lot the last, you know, 10 or 12 years is opportunity come be the class that helps change it. And, you know, and then, you know, if you're running guard and you're talking to a defensive lineman, you're specifically talking about all the guys that you've developed and put in the national football league. Sure. There are the Derek Browns of the world that were highly coveted coming out of high school. There are also ones that he coached that are playing in the NFL that were not, you know, top 50 players coming out of high school. And uh, he, he did a nice job of developing them. So, you know, I, track record and development is something I think he would preach to defensive linemen. Yeah, and I think the other thing too. I think, and you don't, Rob. You're you're not in this business for 30 years if your recruiting pitch is a bunch of uh, a bunch of just hollow talk. I, I mean, I I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of honesty in terms of, you know, hey, this is what it's like for me. You know, you can call anybody you want to that that I, that's played for me. Here's how it is. You need to know what you're getting into. You know, a little bit like what Rick does in basketball recruiting. I mean, I think there's a real honesty to his pitch uh, as well, um, particularly as he's gotten older in his recruiting pitch. I think there's a lot about development and hey, here, here's the expectations if you come play for me. And, and I think, well, and how, I mean, how many high school coaches in, in Georgia, Alabama, you know, Mississippi, does he have long standing relationships with that? Yeah that can serve as references to not just kids that, that they may be coaching, but, you know, maybe Roddy's recruiting, uh, maybe, maybe the one high school coach is, is has buddies at another, he's buddies with another high school coach at a different school that Rod and, you know, the coach picks up the phone and calls him asking about Rodney. I mean, how what, just, I mean, he's got a legitimate reputation that has been built up by being honest and forthright over, over 30 years and taking care of kids. I mean, you can't go, I mean, how many places does he go back to that he's recruited a kid before in the state of Georgia where he's dealing with this, not just the same coach, but maybe the same guidance counselor, maybe the same assistant principal, you know, just the kind of contacts and relationships he has with people like that. I, I bet I'd be interested. That'd, that'd make a good documentary yeah. to, to really, I mean, and that's something that, that matters in recruiting. All right, on to the next one. Here we go. Could you ever envision a scenario where the SEC is dom is a dominant league for football and another league like the ACC becomes dominant in basketball, thus leading to schools participating in two differing leagues for differing sports? Or will the dollars generated by the SEC make it hard for other leagues, not named the Big Ten, to compete in all sports? You have Notre Dame, which competes in, you know, as an independent, and, you know, then they compete in the ACC. They've done that. But the direction we're going here, the dollars that are involved here, the ACC is not going to, or the SEC is not going to say, hey, you can be a football only member in this league and then you can go play another sport somewhere else. I, I don't think that's, an, I don't see that scenario in, in the changing landscape of college athletics at all. I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, Kentucky's not going to turn down, and Kentucky's not going to turn down that, that SEC check to, I mean, bas the basketball revenue is never going to match the football revenue. The same. And, and, and unless it changes where the NCAA tournament and is not controlled and run by the NCAA. I mean, if the, if the national champion is decided, you know, and it's not under the NCAA banner where they, I mean, cause they get all the, that revenue from CBS. I mean, that's, that pretty much sustains that whole organization. As long as that's the case, basketball is never going to come close to football and generating paycheck. 
Olympics. Yeah, it's just not like, you know, joining a local country club and, you know, joining the social membership and not the golf side or, or, or whatever. I mean, like, to me, you're, you're either all in or all out. Yeah, if you're taking the football check, all your sports are playing in this league. I mean, that's that's just – that's the way that's going to be. And and that's – that's I just don't see any difference in, in, in any scenario where it's anything other than that moving, moving forward. All right, Rob, today's draft day for the NBA draft. Iron Vol wants to know a final prediction. What time, what pick, Jaden and Keon go tonight? If you pick the team and – if you pick the team and the pick in the draft right for one – AP will pay your speeding tickets for the next 15 years. Obviously, listen to the Monday podcast or the Tuesday podcast. All right, here we go, Rob. You're on the spot here. What do you got? You got Keon going uh, to uh, who, where? Let me, let me see the draft order and see who picks where. <laughs> and we need some Jeopardy music going. You want to whistle that, AP? We don't have that kind of time, Rob. <laughs> got it right here. Here we go. I think I'm going to go. Keon, number 12, to the Spurs. Jaden, Jaden, 25, to the Clippers. Right. I think Keon goes somewhere between 10 and 15. I think Jalen goes somewhere around 25 to 30. That's my prediction. All right, there you go. You got the team, you got the selection, you got a window when, you, when they're going to go. And uh, we'll see what happens with those two guys as uh, their names get called in the NBA draft coming up later tonight. Um, you have mentioned in the past that Tennessee has had trouble keeping secrets and that pe and people that are involved in the inner workings of the Tennessee football program like to talk. Why do you think that is? What is the incentive of telling a media member what's going on behind the scenes of a coaching search, football program, et cetera? Anybody want to jump I mean, on I this people talk, I think people talk everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think Tennessee's unique in that regard at all well and i think you know i think the other thing too a ap is for tennessee and, and just particularly in some coaching searches you know there there have been some searches where a lot of people probably too many people have known what's going on which creates you know more talk more people talking because you know it's one of those deals where somebody hears something and calls a friend and tells something and all of a sudden it's off and running you know, the other thing, too, is as a media member, you're open to have and you should have relationships and those relationships should land you some information. Otherwise, you haven't done a good job de developing relationships. No doubt. I mean, it's, you know, sometimes, you know, you can be too close and, you know, in covering recruiting, you know, because, you know, coaches, not just the current staff or the previous staff, or it's basically all of them. They, they, they change opinions a lot. And so sometimes you ride the wave, you know, Tennessee decides to go after player X. And then a week later, they've kind of pulled back. So, like, information changes. So, it feels like you're all over the map when in reality you're getting stuff in such real time. You know, same thing with, you know, coaching searches. I mean, think about how much, you know, you know, of the, you know, the wave you, you can ride, you know, if, if you're, if you're kind of have a good end with, you know, the right person on, on the coaching search. I mean, you, you can ride the wave and it's, it, it, it'll take you for a ride. And sometimes too, there's some people involved directly involved in the search that want some information out there because it, it helps them. You know, I mean, we've talked about, it. I mean, I think one of the mistakes John Curry made, you know, in the search that ultimately led to him losing his job out of the gate was, you know, he, he tried to use some of the Gruden stuff as a smoke screen, 
you know, to go work a search as opposed to putting that to bed. There have been other coaching searches where guys have put stuff, you know, they've used the media member to put stuff to bed so that it helps them in their coaching search and it doesn't become a problem. So there's, there's a variety of reasons, but I'm with Rob. I think if you look, and that's the shocking part of the OU Texas thing is that nobody talked, you know, because that's very different than how until, until it leaked out at SEC media day. <laughs> right. Which until somebody was until the, you know, somebody was ready for it to be out, it stayed quiet, which is something that, you know, and obviously they leaked it to a couple of media outlets to, Hey, let's get this out there. Cause now's the time to get it out there. So, um, you know, I'm with Rob. I just think most places there, there are people talking. I don't think a ton of people. And the other thing, too, at Tennessee, I mean, this beat's covered hard. There are a lot of people digging. There are a lot of people looking for information. There are a lot of people talking to a lot of people. So that's another part of it as well. Um, if you had to speculate, do you think Hypo would lean more on the run game if no quarterback shows the ability to do anything other than throw the occasional deep ball? Kentucky had success doing that. We can't have a stubborn coach trying to bring his system he has to play to his strengths. I think one of the biggest misnomers in Josh Heupel's offense is that he doesn't run the ball. I think if you look at their balance, Rob, at Central Florida, they ran the ball more than anybody would think that they run the ball. Uh, but he's going to find a quarterback out of his room that's going to be able to throw it the way he wants to throw it. Will they run their perfect system, you know, the full complement system? I don't know that, but they're not going to they're, they're not going to have a running back playing quarterback and, and run it you know, 54 times a game uh, because they're going to find a quarterback who can, who can do enough of what they want to do offensively to throw the football. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I think that's kind of a misnomer with a lot of these spread offenses, you know, so to speak is, I mean, like Ole Miss, Ole Miss ran the football quite a bit more than they passed it last year. I'm not saying that it's the same offense, but I mean, you've got to be able to do both. I mean, just, just cause you hurry up and, and you like to run a lot of plays does not mean that, the run game is not a big part of what you do. Yep, I agree with that. All right, uh, AP, to you on a recruiting question here. Do you think it will ultimately be hard to sign top defensive recruits playing this style of offense long-term, or does winning solve that? Defensive recruiting has been brutal to watch so far, minus a bright spot here or there. I get there's no film in the investigation, but obviously we need the most help on defense. Where do you see the defensive board now? Where could you see it going this year? What could help us push – uh, push us up in the fall with some defensive talent specifically. What, what do you well, make do of where they are defensively? Well, I do think winning helps. I mean, I think that, you know, that – look, Ole Miss, Alabama, LSU, all those score a lot of points. Now, two of those three are a little bit different than the other. But, like, that's just kind of where the game's going, you know. Um, we'll be interested to see how much – you know, Georgia's offense continues to evolve because you look at how Nick has evolved at, at Alabama and obviously, you know, what, what LSU's trying to do and, and, you know, kind of recreate the magic of two years ago. You know, this they want to go up tempo. They want to score points. They want to go, you know, somewhat fast. So the defense is naturally going to not be as good. They're going to give up more points. Um, you know, I, I think it's more patience than anything else. You know, we'll see, you know, um, you know, what Tennessee tries to do. I, I, you know, you look at, you know, a couple of guys that I think that are, you know, somebody that Tennessee's going to take a swing at over the next, you know, month or two. Sean Washington, former LSU uh, defensive tackle commit, um, you know, someone 
Tennessee's going to, you know, take a swing at and see if they can get in play. Um, there have at least been some conversations there. Former Auburn corner uh, commit, uh, Jarrell Stinson, same thing. Uh, Vanderbilt commitment, uh, Caleb Coley is another one. Um, Kentucky commit, kid out of Michigan that uh, Tim Banks knows really well, who was down here for camp back in June, Jeremiah Caldwell, someone else who is a, is a safety um, that Tennessee will take a look at. So, it, it, you know, Tennessee is going to keep swinging. Um, if they don't land any of those guys, especially at the corner board, then Tennessee will just do what they did this time and go back to the, you know, to the transfer portal. I, I think there's some really quality bodies out there at some of the higher end programs that are just, you know, behind the elite of elite that can play they just can't get on the field that want to play and may look to leave. Well, and, and as a result, I mean, Tennessee's this past recruiting class that was, you know, pretty much in, that was in place when Josh Heupel got it. Of course they lost some of that, that, that defensive class, Rob could be a really good defensive class, depending on how Muhan plays, depending on how um, Williams plays at linebacker, the two corners that they got, you know, I mean, the two defensive linemen that they got, if those guys who have multiple years of eligibility can can play, which you think they can as a transfer, then then that's a pretty good looking recruiting class. And I do think, uh, along with what Austin's saying, I do think you'll see Tennessee on the defensive transfer board and, and or in the portal looking for defensive players a, again a year from now. Because I think if you can find them with multiple years of eligibility, I do think there's a help there. Because I like what they got done defensively with, with the transfers this year. I mean, if those guys that you rattled off, if they're just average SEC players, I mean, it's a it was a really good recruiting class, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, with with the with everything that you had going on, the turmoil, the changeover, and everything else, to add those guys, if you get major, you know, or some significant contributions out of those guys, not just this year, but in years to come, it's a great, it's a really good haul in defensive recruiting. And and I know people want to know about the high school board. You can't live, you know, solely off transfers. But as you get established, Austin, the transfer world may help you. And, I mean, Tennessee, Tennessee's got a chance to help themselves, you, you know, be a much better defense than they were in the spring because of what has arrived since spring practice on the defensive side of the ball. Much like Mississippi State and Kansas State used to live in the JUCO ranks for everything they did. And much like certain schools have tried to retool a position through the JUCO ranks, the, the new way to do that is going to be through the transfer portal. Um, and so, like, I, I think that that's something that people are going to do. If you're, if you're, you know, thin at a particular position, you'll see schools hit the transfer portal hard at that position, trying to retool what they have. And so for a team like Tennessee, who's trying to, you know, make up a lot of ground fast, you know, that's the best way to go about it, especially if you can bring in guys that, you know, were highly thought of coming out of high school and or, uh, you know, have, you know, made some type of impact uh, early on in their college career. Is there a possibility that the Juco offensive tackle could crack the starting lineup or at least the two deep? Is he that highly regarded? Similarly, do you expect all the defensive transfers to crack the two deep, especially the two defensive linemen, Wuhan, and the two defensive backs? Just spoke about the defensive guys. I don't, I don't know. I've not seen the offensive line, the, the Juco offensive tackle. I don't know what he can and can't do. I don't see there's any way that he starts. Like I would give that right. one chance of happening. Yeah, I agree with that. Too deep, I'll give him a 30% chance of cracking the too deep. Like I just think he's more project than he is anything else, in my opinion. Um, you know, with, with, you know, with some potential really high upside, but I still think project to begin with. 
Um, as far as those defensive guys, Brent, you know, I, I'm not sure about Apache Muhan. You know, I mean, like I think that he's got a certain skill set, but I'm not sure he cracks the two deep. Um, be interested to see what either Kamal Haddon and or Brandon Turnage could do at corner. You know, Jawan Mitchell's going to make the two deep. Um, you know, I think the defensive lineman Tremblay, uh, Deshaun Terry, they're in the two deep. Um, you know, but I, I, I won't say all of them are going to be in the two deep. Most, yeah, of them. yeah, I'd say most of them. Will. The thing with the offense, with the offensive tackle, was there's some there's enough flexibility on that offensive line of sliding people from guard to tackle that you get your best five on the field. And that might not be just plugging in the guy in the two deep there. It might be sliding somebody, you know, from, from center out to tackle because that makes you the better five to get your best five guys on the field. Rob, hoops to you. Will the expansion force the SEC to get rid of the SEC tournament? Seems like a 16, 18, possibly even 20-team tournament is too much. Would the, would the SEC basketball tournament go away with expansion? No, I think you'd see it be conducted like the baseball tournament is. Just, you know, some teams wouldn't make it. I think that's that. There's there's money involved in the basketball tournament, so you're gonna you're gonna do that. There's, there's no chance they're eliminating the SEC tournament. But you're not gonna have everybody make it, so you do yeah, like what it you're talking about. It won't be a 24 team field. It'll be just, I mean, like I said, just like baseball. I mean, top you know, 12 or 14 or 16 or whatever make it. All right, uh, minus Rodney Garner, who's the best position coach on the football team? I don't think we know yet. I mean, we only went through spring and, and really, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess if you're going off, you know, previous track record. Yeah. I kind of like what Glenn Ellerby does on the offensive line. Yeah. I mean, you know, look at track. I think you got to throw Willie Martinez in there too, as a developer of talent, but that I mean that those, I mean, Rodney and Willie are the two easiest names to say because they have the sec experience. They have the track record. If you followed sec football, you know about those guys. I mean, you, you, I, I don't, I mean, I want to see what Alex Golish could do, Rob, because I didn't watch a lot of Iowa State football to figure out what, what they were doing there. I, you know, I see Glenn Ellerby's resume, but I can't tell you what was, where's, what year was Glenn Ellerby's best offensive line? You know, give me, give me the four players Glenn Ellerby's really developed. I can give you Willie Martinez five or six names because some of them came directly from here when he coached here. You know, and so I, I think you got to see what these guys look like just to say this guy's the best, this guy's the second best based on the knowledge that you have. Yeah, I mean, Willie and Rodney, because they're both experienced in the league and you can rattle off a bunch of players they've coached and developed. Yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree. I think that's a question we can answer maybe in December with, yeah. with some authority as opposed to right now. I'll say this. There better be some guys on this on the staff that can develop some players because I think that's to get back where you want to go. You have to you have to evaluate guys who play above their recruiting ranking, and you have to help them develop above their recruiting ranking because right now it's hard to go in and win a lot of head to head battles with the top teams you're trying to catch in this league. So we'll see what their development looks like in year one and and beyond. Uh, can you envision any current SEC schools being told to look around? Should the power brokers and college athletics decide they want one super conference? If it's all about money, I can't imagine Vanderbilt or the Mississippi schools being included. And with that being said, let's pretend there's eventually one super conference of 24 to 32 schools. Does Tennessee get asked to join? And if so, is it purely because of the TVD revenue that they generate? I, 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 you know, A, I don't think we're close to a 32-team type super conference deal. Um, 
you know, I could be wrong, but I, I don't, I don't see that happening. Two, I don't see the SEC telling somebody to go away. Now, I mean, I'm not going to pretend to know, but don't you imagine there's some pretty, you know, ironclad language in in the contracts that these schools have or in the SEC charter about what is grounds for being expelled from the league, so to speak. I mean, I, I, I bet it's, I bet it's some pretty straightforward language in, in there that. That's not just something you could decide to do in Destin. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't think you'd come into the room and go, "All right, we're voting somebody out." Okay, we're, you know, what I mean, we're we're kicking them off the island here. It's it's a game of Survivor, AP. Who, who's out now? If if in the you know as conference expands, if somebody doesn't compete the way they need to compete, if they're not financially invested in competing and they're just riding coattails, then maybe that's a conversation. But I, I don't. I don't think that they're sitting around going, all right, who do we kick out of this league? I, I just, if that's been the, you know, that's never been the conversation in the, in this conference. And I don't, I don't see that generating in the next, in the next bid anyway, with, with the expansion and everything going on. Yeah, I agree. Especially, I mean, I, I, everybody, like the Mississippi schools, like I don't think, you know, either one of those is getting looked at and said, you know, I mean, and, and Vanderbilt's too good in other sports. You know, I get football drives the train, but you also have to have, you also have to look at the totality, I think of you know what else they bring and they do bring the we're smart <laughs> angle they do bring you know uh you know quality play in a, in a couple other sports and so um you know i i just think they would just you would add teams around the vanderbilts and mississippi schools here's cover here's what i think is more likely and i and also think this is 10 15 20 20 years down the road i, mean, I don't think it's imminent if you're going to do something like that to create a super conference, I think it's more likely that the SEC just disbands and there's a new entity formed where all these, these schools come together. Yeah, I, I could, I could see that. Here's the other thing too. I'll say this about the Mississippi schools from a financial standpoint and facility standpoint, don't sell those two schools short on, on kind of the money they have and, and where they are. I mean, they're, they're not, they're not what you think if, you, if you've been around those places. I mean, they, they have better baseball facilities than Tennessee and some other places. I mean, they're not, they're not this Ole, poor, desolate place that everybody wants to make it I mean, out to. It's, it's not huge, but Ole Miss may have the nicest basketball arena in the league just in terms of ambiance and bells and whistles. I mean, it's, it's sharp. Yeah, absolutely it is. Um, all right, please read Don't Laugh. As we run out of time here, I always like this. Compare the 2013 Auburn team that won the SEC to the 21 Vols. Look, I'm not saying we're going to win the national champ, going to the national championship game or win the SEC, but the comparisons are at least interesting and fun. The 2013 Auburn team went 11 and 1 in the regular season, won the SEC, but the year before in 2012, they were 3 and 9 and went 0 and 8 in the SEC. Chiswick fired, brought in a new offensive binding coach. 2013 was year one for Gus Malzahn after firing defensive minded Gene Chiswick. No proven quarterback coming in to 2013. Nick Marshall won the job at fall camp. Wasn't even on the roster in 2012. There was some talent on the roster, but it wasn't loaded. The following year, only four players were taken in the NFL draft. Not one single coach was retained from the previous staff. In other words, it was the first year for all those coaches, including Rodney Garner. I think that's a pretty talented Auburn team. I think this too. I think Gus Malzahn surprised the SEC. A lot of people had to try. It took a year for a lot of people to catch up to what he was doing offensively. I think a lot of people are prepared for spread offenses now 
where they weren't prepared for that kind of up-tempo spread stuff that he brought into the league in that first year. I think the West took it took it took the West a year or two to figure out what they were doing, and I think because of that, it helped Auburn um, have success right out of the gate. I'm not saying Tennessee can't have success, but I think everybody's more accustomed to stopping the spread attack now than they were when Gus Malzahn came came into this league. Um, all right, uh, break down what if a football player's average day looks like during fall camp? Has changed once the season starts. With the new coaching staff and NIL, how much more or less coverage do you think we will get this fall? I don't think you're going to get any less coverage. I think you may get a little bit more in fall camp in terms of access to practice. What does the day look like? Until you start classes, it's about football all the time. Once you start classes, you jump into the 20-hour rule, and then it changes dramatically. Um, so that, that's what's going on there. Austin, what's the deal with the Brown kid from Milan moving his commitment date back? You've long said the longer the 22 in-state kids wait to make decisions, the better it is for Tennessee. I don't – I mean, unless something's changing, I don't think anything's changed. I just don't see any way Anthony Brown picks Tennessee. I think he just pushed it back. I don't think it had to do with, you know, trying to give Tennessee more time. Um, are they still looking at Perry and Joseph as the lone linebackers we're going hard after? Who are the defensive ends on the board? Um, and does that mean because Browns pushes back, Tennessee's going to make any kind of run at Jalen Lewis? No, I don't think that – I don't see Tennessee making a run at Jalen Lewis. I think both those kids will go to Arkansas. Um, as far as, you know, Joseph's uh, – that to me is a Kentucky-Michigan-Tennessee battle, um, you know. And, and then, you know, I, I think defensive ends kind of like – Corner, I think it's somebody something where Tennessee will get into the season, see who emerges, see who maybe you know they can get back in on. You know, I named some some guys earlier. A couple of them were defensive linemen that I think Tennessee will take a swing at um, over the next you know six weeks or so. Rob, as of today, who's the staff trying to schedule official visits with in foot in basketball this fall? Staff, any less confidence on Wallace since the Kentucky offer and him scheduled and him scheduling an official visit to Lexington. Uh, visits that want everybody back that came in June, uh, guys that didn't come in June, Johan Treor, uh, uh, Ernest Uday, and Julian Phillips, who they just recently offered. As far as the you know, case on Wallace and Kentucky, I'm not saying that Tennessee's not confident, but it's pretty basic common sense, and it stands to reason. When you go from being the only school a kid has taken an official visit to, to him taking an official visit to another school, then that changes the equation especially when that school is Kentucky, one of the top three programs in the history of the sport. So, yeah, yeah. it's going it, it's to be a recruiting battle. This kid's a top ten talent. I mean, it was – I don't know why anybody would think it's going to be a way down. Yeah. No, and, I mean, once other people get involved, he starts – like you say, I mean, it becomes a, a straight-up recruiting battle, which is what that one is definitely going to be. All right, final question. What are some of the biggest recruiting misses by Tennessee staff over the last ten years? Guys that Tennessee should have recruited harder or came in second in recruiting – Orlando Brown at Oklahoma, which Tennessee cut loose. Jacob that Phillips remains at, an all-timer, by the way. Jacob Phillips at LSU comes to mind. Keyshawn Vaughn at Vandy. Dodson at A&M. Nate Gillum at Wake Forest. What are some biggest ones for you all, for you it's guys? A, Jacoby I mean, Stevens? Yeah, I mean, Keyshawn is – or Keyshawn Vaughn. I mean, he went to Illinois before coming back to Vandy. So, it's not like, you know, um, that was a little different. I mean, yeah, he ends up being a really good, solid running back. Um Oh, I mean, he hit the nail on the head with some of them. You could go with a lot of misses. I mean, like, you know, Tennessee, you know, and it, 
they lost that on T Higgins. They never were a factor for Amari Rogers, you know, even though all the Vol fans, oh, Amari's just a take to get T. Never was a take to get T. Amari's good. Look at him, man. I mean, he's just a, maybe the, again, I've said this before of all the kids I've, I've covered, the hardest working kid I've ever covered. He's a better foot. He's a better guy, better player than I thought he would, would be. I mean, I give him full credit. I, I didn't know him well enough. Didn't cover him to know a lot. He, he's, He's a he is a because of his work ethic. He is he's a guy who's going to play the game for a long time. Um, you, you, you look at it, Brent, and they just there's so many in-state guys. But even like a guy like Tate Rattledge, like you know, grandmother's diehard Lady Vol fan. Dad's a diehard Vol fan. Pills the sticker off the truck. Like Tennessee, that's why I've continued to said that Addison Nichols is so important because you know Tennessee's got to stop losing those type players. Yeah, and you know there's some other guys. I mean, look. Sam Howe, what does this program look like if Sam Howe is your quarterback? I mean, I know we're going out of state here, but that's a guy. I'm not saying they would have absolutely landed him, Austin, but you talked to him. They would have been in the big-time hunt if Tennessee would have pursued him, you know. And obviously we've the, the Trevor Lawrence story has been discussed a gazillion times, and you know what a quarterback, you know, what a quarterback means. You know, Ty Simpson, that's not Josh Heupel's fault. It's the timing of things. That didn't work. We'll see, you know, what what – how that affects Tennessee long-term down the road. I mean, you could just name a bunch of those. And, and that's just – I mean, that's – when you talk about what, what's been the biggest issue for Tennessee, you know, that's been it. And, and part of the reason why they haven't been able to recruit as well as they need to is some of it's bad evaluation, Rob. Some of it's kids not interested in Tennessee because they're not winning. You know, they haven't won enough. And some of it is coaching staff turnover and their timing's been off. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, to me, this goes back. You, you've not played Atlanta in 14 years. Yeah, that's probably the best way. Probably the best way to say it is you haven't been you haven't been in, there in, in 14 years, and that changes the outlook of where people think that you are, and and people what people think who you are at this you know at this point in time. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Blue Water Climate Control Mailbag Podcast for Austin Price and Rob Lewis. I'm Brent Hubs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your. Um, Thursday, quick shout out and quick best wishes to a couple of guys dealing with a couple of health things. Uh, former ball um, defensive line coach Dan Brooks, continued recovery, my friend, and uh, to Ray Hand as well, continued recovery as both those guys have had to deal with a few things the last few days. So thoughts and prayers continue to be with those guys moving forward. But that does it for this edition of the podcast. For Austin Price and Rob Lewis, I'm Brent Hubs. Have a great rest of your Thursday, everybody. <laughs>